Father, as we hear from your word this morning from a faithful servant of long ago, God, may we remember that your word is unfailing, that it is timeless, and it is useful for both then and the present. That something that was written so long ago can still have impact for us even still today. This morning, as we hear from a troubled soul in the form of the Apostle Paul speaking to a troubled church in Corinth, God, may we be moved to see where exactly we need to be as a church, as individuals, as your servants, as those who are to be making disciples. God, please show us your way. I pray that you would be glorified in all we say and do in this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Dear Lord, you know that my heart is heavy as I come to you now. My soul is burdened for the people in Corinth, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, That city is so wicked, and uh, the people there are so confused and divided. There's so much temptation. Lord, I know that there are people there who say they belong to Apollos. They should belong to you. They say they belong to Cephas. They even say that they belong to me, to Paul. But you know when I was there, I did, I did not promote myself. I, I let them know I didn't die for their sins. I was not crucified for them. There's no one there that should even begin to claim that I baptized them in my name. I was not promoting myself. I sought nothing other than to know the cross of Jesus Christ in their midst. I I didn't preach any fancy sermons. My wisdom was not eloquent. I just preached the cross of Jesus, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. I only preached Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But I preached Christ crucified because I know that the foolishness of God is far greater than the highest wisdom of people. And I know that the weakness of God exceeds even the strongest strength of men. But but God, you... You have chosen the insignificant things, the the things despised by this world, who are deemed nothing. And I am nothing, but you have used nothing to make something as nothing, so that no one could stand in your midst and boast in themselves. God... While I was there, I did nothing but proclaim simple milk. I gave them milk to drink, not solid food to eat, because they were babies in Christ. They still are. I gave them no complicated theological 
commitments that would facilitate debate. I just gave them milk to drink, not solid food to eat, and they're still babies. I still can't give them more than simple milk because they're so worldly. They act as if they are mere flesh, as if they're mere human beings and not as those who've actually received the Holy Spirit of God. There's so much immorality, so much divisiveness. I don't know how that has entered into their ranks. It's reported to me that there is even one young man who is sleeping with his father's wife. And the church knows and does nothing. This is insanity to me. Help me to help them to know just how much they need to take responsibility for helping their body to remain healthy and helping one another to remain clean. Teach them that their bodies are in fact the temples of the Holy Spirit. And yet they defile your holy temple. Father, what makes matters worse is they're coming out of this old pagan background and they don't know their left from their right. They don't know up from down. They know nothing of the sanctity of marriage. They know nothing of the worth of womanhood and the dignity of manhood in Christ. They don't understand faithfulness, fidelity, and love within marriage. Help me to communicate effectively that they will understand And Lord, they are confused about so many things. They're confused about meat offered to idols, meat that is sold in the marketplace, that is served on the table of their friends. I know, I I know that an idol is nothing, that you are the only true living God, that idols are just stone, they're just carved wood, but they don't know and their conscience is weak. Help them to know what to do and what not to do. Help them to know what to eat and what not to eat. But also, Lord, help them to know the reason and the spirit behind the rules, not just the rules. And Lord, help them also to do more than just turn their back on their old paganism. Help them to embrace something new a better way. Lord, there's confusion over the Lord's table. Help me to communicate well and help them to receive the truth of the Lord's Supper so that they would see the beauty in the memorial observance and not desecrate the table. And maybe worst of all, they've taken gifts, good and perfect gifts from above, And they've competed over them as if gifts are spiritual status symbols. Lord, help help them to recognize the beauty of the gifts, that the gifts were given for the common good, not to lord over one another what they have and what the other person does not have. They've taken something so beautiful and they've made it competitive. The body is so divided. They're not glorifying you who by your sovereign design have given us the gifts that you have given us for the common good within the body and within the community around. Lord, they are so lost and so depraved of mind that they would take the holy things and profane them. 
the fellowship, their bodies, the Lord's table, and their marriages. Oh, Lord, teach them, teach them to love. Teach them to love. Amen. Oh, wow. Uh, Sometimes I get to praying and I don't recognize what's going on around. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, As you've seen, I've just been praying. I actually just finished this letter to this church that I helped start called Corinth. And anyways, I apologize. I I suppose I need to introduce myself. My name is is Paul. And uh, I'm an apostle. You might just think of me as a as a missionary, and I I spent quite a bit of time traveling throughout the Greco-Roman world, starting churches, planting churches, introducing people to a relationship with Jesus. And in one of these locations, Corinth, I've spent quite some time there and became very close to these people. They're like children to me, and I'm like a father in the faith to them. That's how it is when you're in the family of God. They feel like sons and daughters, brothers, sisters in some cases, aunts and uncles, but I'm their spiritual father. And I love them. You know how it is in family, though. Your family can be your deepest satisfaction and your greatest joy. And it can also be the source of the deepest heartbreak. And when you're a pastor and you find your satisfaction and your joy in your people, your heart will break when you think of the fact that the people you love and the people into whom you've poured your life don't necessarily love the one that you love most and who sacrificially made all of family possible. Recently, I, I did receive word from uh, from Corinth that things were not going particularly well. In fact, they're going terribly. And so I had to address this family that means so much to me. And so I wrote a rather long letter. You might read it sometime. I know I can't read it all to you right now. But I don't feel bad about going long in letters or bad in going long in person. In fact, there was this one occasion... When I was in Troas and I started preaching well into the night and there was this young man, his name was Eutychus, and he fell asleep and fell out the window and he died. Not my fault. But the Lord saw fit to breathe life back into his dead body. I just bring this up to say, as I speak this morning, don't fall asleep because it might kill you. But I'm not going to go nearly as long as my letter and the pastor told me that I only had 30 minutes this morning. And I told him, I've heard you preach before, hypocrite. But I'll honor his wishes. I'm a guest. So let me just, let me tell you a little bit. Maybe I ought to share some more about Corinth. Let me tell you about Corinth. When I, I first went there some, I think it was three years ago. When I first went there three years ago, I found a city that was incredibly corrupt. It's a port city, and you know how sailors are. 
And it was quite prosperous, and people would come from all over to Corinth, and they would travel through Corinth. It was a wonderful place to preach the gospel of Jesus. But as was my custom, I would go to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles and the Jews. It's from a Jew. The Jews tried to shut me down rather quickly. In fact, they went to Gallio, the Roman proconsul, and told him to get rid of me, to force me out of the city, but he would not comply with their Jewish conspiracy. But it would have been very easy for me to have just packed my bags and gone on my way. But the Lord showed up to me in a vision and he explained to me that he had many of his people there and that I should not be afraid. And of course, the Lord's word is always true. And there were two companions that I met there who were with me the whole time, Aquila and Priscilla, in addition to Timothy and Silas. And so for 18 months, I had a fruitful ministry in this church that was potentially going to be a very strong church. But maybe I stayed too long or maybe I left too soon. Only God knows. But I did get word from Corinth that things are terrible in that church. Awful. Evil has taken over. It would seem that the world is winning over the church as opposed to the church winning over the world. And you would ask, why would that happen? Well, I can give you one major reason. Division. There's incredible division within the church. There were at least four different parties in that church. There was the party of Paul. I wasn't asking for it, but I did help lead people to Christ, and I was the person who helped establish the church. And so it was natural that people would turn to me or reference me. But it was strange. Whenever a dispute would arise or a disagreement, which happens in groups all the time, they would talk about what Paul would say or what Paul would do, which I always found to be funny because when I was with them, they didn't understand what I was saying half the time. And now that I wasn't there, they knew exactly what was on my mind. So they used my name in vain, and they tried to leverage me so as to keep things the same. But, of course, the Lord doesn't keep things the same. That's why he moves people on, and that's why he moves people in. Things are always changing in the kingdom of God. They're always changing within the body of Christ. But there were those that were attached to me because they were attached to the past and to the traditions and to the golden year and a half. Then there was the party of Apollos. Apollos was a wonderful teacher, a tremendous orator. He did speak eloquently, but he was so compelling in the presentation of the gospel that some people fell more in love with the messenger than with the one who sent the messenger. And so some people rallied around and found their identity in Apollos as opposed to Christ. That happens. Then there were those who claimed to be of the party of Cephas. Didn't like that. They were kind of legalistic. They appreciated uh, Peter's Jewishness and adherence to the Jewish law. And he was rather famous, and so some people just want to attach themselves to the name. Celebrity is not something that just happened here in the 21st century. People have always attached themselves to prominent names. Then there were those that were of the party of Christ. They said, we don't belong to Paul. We don't belong to Cephas. We don't belong to Paulus. We belong to Christ. Now, that sounds really good until you figure out that these people were actually sort of full of themselves. It never really occurred to them that what Jesus said and what they thought Jesus said may not always be the same. 
They sort of took Christ's name in vain, to be honest, because everything they ever believed was of Jesus. So they looked down their nose at everyone else in the church, which isn't like Jesus at all. So you can tell that the church was a disaster. There's the party of Paul for the people who were hanging on to the past. There's the party of Apollos for those who were moved by the charisma and the communication ability of one man. Then there were those who were attached to legalism, the party of Peter. And then there were those who just were a little bit full of themselves. It was a disaster. It, it has been a disaster. And in my letter, I've tried to address this situation. But it gets even worse. The immorality has been awful. You, you probably heard me praying. There was actually this, this man. He, he, he's still there because the church has not done nothing about him. A young man who's actually had an affair or having an affair with his stepmother. And the church, is, the church knows about it. And they've done nothing about it because they're just so broad-minded that they'll basically let anything go. I mean, what people do behind their closed doors, their own business, and maybe it's meaningful to them. And it's not just the sin. It's that the church can't be outraged by such gross immorality in their midst. Making matters worse, they've come out of this pagan background with all of its debauchery and they do not have a high view of marriage and fidelity. They don't understand the worth of womanhood. They don't understand the dignity of manhood. They don't understand so many things. In fact, the women are shameless. In Corinth, all the ladies in public cover their heads without respect to their religion or lack thereof. And yet in the church, we have women who don't cover their heads because they're just shameless. And when the women in the church are as shame, shameful or more shameful than even the men, then you know you're living in a culture gone wrong and it's invaded the church. The church is even more embarrassing than the world around it. You would think that in such a God-forsaken situation that God would forsake it, but no, God came to me and said, I am a redemptive God no matter how far the church goes, even when they are unfaithful, I'm faithful and I'm going to help turn that around and I'm going to use you, Paul. So I've been writing this letter. And there are people there, it's so bad, it's so divisive, that people can't even get together over a meal. When they sit down to have meat, they start arguing, was that sacrifice to an idol or not? And you can't do that, and you can't, but I can't, and I don't care what you think. And they were fighting just over meals. Even when they would get together at the church for what was called the love feast, which was meant to be sort of a reflection of the Last Supper, they would fight. At the Lord's table. The love feast was such a wonderful idea because the idea was we're going to be remembering Jesus and we're going to give the poor at least one good solid meal a week. But no, when they came together to celebrate and to remember, it was an opportunity for fighting, for favoritism, for dissension, and even for drunkenness. And I had to take something that could have been so good. And in my letter I say, you've got to stop this. We've got to start all over. You don't understand the Lord's table at all. You desecrate it in the worst way I could possibly imagine. 
You have forgotten the one you're supposed to remember in the elements. Maybe the worst thing of all was the gifts. The gifts themselves were divisive. These holy things that the Holy Spirit of God had given for the common good. Especially there was division over the gift of tongues. There were some people who thought that because they could speak in tongues that they were now first-class citizens and everybody else in the church was second-class citizens. They were using their poor theology to further entrench their superiority in the division within the body. Covetousness and enviousness over the gifts and no one thanking God for one another and no one thanking God for how God had put all the parts together. No one giving glory to the Lord for his sovereign design. I have needed to communicate to them that there is a a better way. So when I tell you that the church at Corinth was a mess, I mean it was a disaster. It was an embarrassment to God. And it was sad for me for having spent so much time investing and pouring my life into these people to not only have a poor reflection of God, but reflecting the antithesis to the Spirit of Christ. And so I've written this letter. It's a long letter. I'm not going to read all of it to you here this morning. I don't have time for that. But I do want to draw your attention to one section of the letter that I thought about quite a bit. And the reason I thought about it so much is because it was centrally significant to addressing all of the issues within the body. So I want to bring to you that one particular segment of the letter. And and as I mentioned it to you, and I don't have all of the letter memorized, I just wrote it. But this one section, I do know by heart because it's been in my heart for so long. And as I share this section with you, let me just explain. I am writing it in the first person. You'll know this. I'm, I'm, I've written this about me. I want them to know that I struggle with them. In fact, I've told other people that I'm the chief of sinners, and that's not just rhetorical flourish. I believe I'm the chief of sinners. Everything that I tell them, it applies to me, and I would say it probably applies to you too. So here's what I wrote to the church at Corinth. And this is, I, I, I know, this is the Word of God through me to them and to you. As I was talking about the better way, the most excellent way, I wrote, If I speak with human and even angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and even surrender my body that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It is not arrogant. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not take joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Love never ends. 
But where there are prophecies, they, they will end. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and, uh, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the, imp- the partial comes to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I set aside the childish things. For, for now, we see as in a mirror, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then, then I will know fully, even as I'm fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being patient this morning. And thank you for helping me to process a little bit because I'm a verbal processor. I hope this has been helpful to you. But I also, uh, as a missionary, I have this impulse in my life to, to just ask you. I have to go there. How's it going with you? How are you on your journey? How do you relate to the body of Christ? I have to ask. Is there a spirit of dissension in you? Or do you live in unity and cooperation in in fellowship with one another? Do do you participate in a, a group or do you have an alliance or a particular party where there is dissension because you've affiliated yourself with a marginal theological position or you're aligned with some individual who is creating a segmentation within the body? Or do you sit over in the corner, in the critic's corner, and you scorn those who maybe are struggling to walk with Jesus or are struggling to serve Jesus Remember Corinth, if this is you, remember Corinth, because the only operational basis for a healthy church is love. Or think about your morality or immorality. Are you committed in mind and in body to being above reproach? What do you read? What do you watch? What are the things that you are depositing into the memory banks of your mind? Is it encouraging Purity or impurity? Please remember that when it comes to love, love is so much more than doing whatever it is that your profane or fallen or twisted desires desire at any moment. How do you deal with those who are struggling? Are you judgmental and intolerant or do you seek to redeem and to restore? Do you see that you have weakness in your mind and in your body? Do you tolerate sin within the body of Christ? Do you elevate and select people who are openly and obstinately indifferent or rebellious against God? Or do you select and promote people within the body into leadership who are, through confession and repentance and faith, seeking to authentically represent Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. Remember Corinth. They didn't know how to judge appropriately. They didn't know how to restore appropriately. 
Only love is the foundation for health. One more question. Are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to encourage the gifts that he has given to you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to fan into flame the the gifts that he has given to you? Are you allowing those gifts to be fostered in your life? Are you using your gifts for the benefit of other people? Or do you have a sense of superiority and pride over the gifts that God has given you as gifts? Or do you have a sense of inferiority where you're stepping back from all the rest because you think that maybe God hasn't given you something that is worthwhile? Only love, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, only love can take all of our personalities and gifts and talents and experiences. Only only love can take all of this and make us functionally the body of Christ. Only love. Nothing else. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of the Apostle Paul and the wisdom that you have given him and the reality that you don't give up on the church even when we are unfortunately faithless to you. We may not be faithful, but you are always faithful. And just as we understand that the Apostle Paul's heart would break over such a wayward church, we know that his heart is only a reflection of yours. You are the ultimate missionary. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to leave the glories of heaven and travel to a far land called earth. And he did more than just suffer. He suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he endured the deepest of shame. That we would stand guiltless and also completely received by you. Lord, help us to take advantage of the love that was displayed to us when even we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To live in a loveless state as the body of Christ is the ultimate rejection of the gospel. (laughs) Lord, we are sorry for the times when we have been loveless toward one another. We are sorry for the times that we have been loveless to the world around us. We are sorry for the times when we have been anything but love. Thank you, though, for forgiving us and thank you for for not leaving us without the hope of your word and your promised ongoing presence. And where we need to confess our sin, we confess it to you wholeheartedly without reservation. But, Lord, if there are any here who have yet to receive your love, your sacrifice, your coming, I pray that you would give them the wisdom to do this, that they would right now say, God, I know that I've sinned. And it's not just that I did the wrong things I did the wrong things knowing them to be wrong and I failed to do the right things because I just want to live for myself and I have been living in fundamental rebellion and that just means lovelessness. I have not loved you with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I haven't loved my neighbor as myself and that is what it means to fall short and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all in need of forgiveness and Lord, I know for me, I want to receive your forgiveness now. Not just so that I can go free, but that I can run to you and be embraced as your child. 
So God, right now, you might be here right now and you would just be saying this to God. God, I know that I've sinned, I've fallen short, but I just want to trust in Jesus and what it is that he's done for me. I want what Jesus did on the cross to be applied to my life. I turn from my sin and my selfishness. I trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me. And I want to spend the rest of my days knowing fellowship with you, the Lord of love. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand as we continue in worship. I'll be at the back to talk with you and pray with you about whatever the Lord said in your heart. But I pray that you will remain open to God and to his spirit and allow the Lord to continue to speak to you as we move forward and then close in worship.